The Cannabis 101 podcast is presented by Stone Smiths. Have you seen the slash? Made by users for users. Engineered for flavor. One of the coolest features around. A built-in loading tool. Learn more at www.stonesmiths.ca. is the Business of Cannabis, a joint venture between the Green Generation Co. and the Cannabis 101 podcast, bringing you the latest bud, biz, buzz. Malcolm LaBelle from the Green Generation Co. joining me as usual for the business of cannabis. Find out how she can help you at www.greengencompany.com. Malcolm, great to chat and see you once again. How are things? Hi, Dean. Good. We are having a Chinook already. (laughs) (laughs) The weather persists to change yet again. Excellent. And uh, just after (laughs) Halloween, uh, did you you, uh, see much going on with Halloween in your area this past weekend? Yeah, actually, it was pretty, um, it was actually the first time we were ever home in our own house for Halloween. Usually we go to other neighborhoods that are really bumping with kids, but our daughter's old enough where she can sort of do her own thing so she found the neighborhood kids that she usually plays with so sort of part of her bubble and they had a great time so it was fun for everyone it wasn't as busy but that was okay and still fun for everyone awesome that is good stuff all right uh, let's get to our lead topic today and this is obviously something that we're going to be watching for the next few days the u.s election and this could really shake up the cannabis landscape uh in the next well however long it takes for it to happen (laughs) Yeah, you know, this is this could be a game changer uh, for cannabis for Canada in the US. So I I wanted to share with you sort of some of my thoughts on what could happen uh, with the US elections that would basically change the industry as we know it. So these are sort of my I'm going to say predictions, my uh, collective intelligence of all the things that I read to share with you. So there's, I guess, like, five key ways that this the election could drastically change what we see right now um and that's kind of what i wanted to go through um the biggest i think and the most important one which aligns both with our desire to legalize cannabis in canada and as sort of the rest of you know anywhere that's looking at it is the acceleration and closing of the illicit market um if uh, the cannabis if cannabis any form that might happen in the US if they choose to go legal uh, in the US. The pandemic has caused uh, many regulators in the US to already permit, uh, even state by state, um, previously prohibited retail activity like curbside pickup and delivery. And Dutchie, who is both a US and Canada platform for online uh, e-commerce sales of cannabis products, Um, has essentially made this super easy for stores to jump on their platform and use their services to to both for pickup and delivery, a curbside pickup, um, 
across all of North America. So this particular platform is already in place. Many stores in Canada are using it and in the U.S. And doesn't matter what happens in the U.S., this will continue to accelerate that uh, growth and really close that gap, making um, illicit activity less convenient and legal activity more convenient, which is really what we want. Um, some of the other things we're going to see is an, an increased economic recovery and tax base. So in the U.S., uh, huge unemployment is a major issue, uh, obviously, with the pandemic for a lot of states. And many states are looking at states that have legalized cannabis as a potential uh job replacement uh, industry uh, spurning of recovery activity of economic recovery. We're seeing that in Canada already and definitely in some states in the US. Um, but it's an increased tax base. So as st state more states choose to jump on board the cannabis legalization bandlet wagon, and I believe there's about uh, it's 42 actually, which I, of the count that I heard out of 50 that if all of the ballots go through with legalization on them for medicinal or recreational use uh, that's on the ballot for tomorrow in the U.S., most of states in the U.S. will be have some form of cannabis legalization, and that creates a tax base that didn't exist before. So if status, the states, which are sort of in the U.S., more responsible for taxes, I think, than federally, um, they see this as an opportunity to boost their tax base, and they need that right now, especially. Um, so and then. Along with that, we see sort of how the overflow will happen in Canada with a greater demand for Canadian CBD products. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are, Dean, with what happened with CBD in the U.S., but with the Industrial Hemp Act being passed in 2018, pretty much anyone and their dog could literally put a CBD brand on a shelf in anywhere in the U.S., from the gas mm. station to the grocery store, with little oversight or regulation for how that product was actually uh, processed or what was in it. And the FDA has yet to approve those. Um, there's been a lot of pushback from the FDA in the U.S. towards this industrial uh, hemp um, industry. And in Canada, because it's legalized under a regulated model, there's more favor to that because it can be controlled. And there are a lot more insight and research and all that is happening on the Canadian side. So we're going to see that countries or companies in the in Canada that are processing for CBD purposes are going to look really favorable, especially if they have expansion plans into the U.S. So pay attention to those companies that are talking about CBD, uh, either hemp, either hemp based or uh, cannabis based, uh, mm -hmm. because those regulations in Canada are, are very critical for how it is uh, processed as, and, and unveiled. And the last part about this is if cannabis becomes federally legalized in the U.S., we're going to see the gas being hit on the research and development from academic institutions and from investment. The investment community wants to see R&D. They want to see something patentable. They want to know about all the magic in the plant that they can turn into some sort of you know, IP for their company to own. Um, whether it be for pharmaceutical, for, for, for products, for technology, for food. So, and really the largest, one of the bigger eyes on this is the development of cannabinoids through biosynthetic method, methods, which means no cultivation required. Uh, I'm not a fan of that at all. I think the cannabis should be grown like a plant from the soil or whatever medium. It should be grown, not developed in a Petri dish with yeast and bacteria. But people are working on that in Canada and the U.S. So um, it's a huge global market. 
And all of those things will become accelerated after the election uh, tomorrow. So see what happens. Well, yeah, there's there's so much to take in. And and, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't think that Petri dish uh, cannabis is ever going to replace actual growing cannabis in, in a grand scale. But, you know, I think that, that we should be exploring all kinds of options. And when you talk about the, uh, uh, the educational institutions, Harvard, uh, already has a, a deal with Atlas Growers, a partnership where they are studying. So uh, that is going to get, and that's going to be the the real, um, you know, the, there's going to be some companies that are going to profit off this and, and you can't have uh, some sort of legalization without uh, corporations getting involved. But the research, the development, uh, the science, uh, figuring that out is, uh, is really going to speed up when you have that large of a country, if it happens, and, and this is still a big if, right? We, we still have to wait for this to happen. But, you know, if this does happen, uh, it, it, it might be like flipping on a light switch. And, and overnight, uh, this giant new world of cannabis, uh, you know, could be open to not just Americans, but I think there's some Canadians that will be looking at this very, very keenly as well. Definitely. And a lot of the companies that we already know in Canada are primed to be doing either be like, you know, um, bought or like um, acquired by U.S. companies or the other way, like the cross border cannabis action will definitely right. happen with a light switch if it becomes legal in the U.S. Um, so we're, we're, we're I know that there's companies that are primed for that and that they're talking about that without it having happened yet. So just stay tuned. It's, mm -hmm. it's buckle up. It's going to be exciting. There's some Canadian companies that are just waiting because they are, you know, like they have those uh, big, big plans, as you mentioned. So it, it will be definitely interesting to watch, um, you know, and, and, you know, just for, for many reasons, I think the U.S. election is going to be um just a, a bizarre one this year. All right, let's move on to game changers and or change makers rather. And but this is a kind of a, a game changer as well in that uh, regard. And we're talking about uh, elevatedsignals.com and, and some really interesting cannabis software. So fill us in. Yeah, so I found out about these guys sort of through a very circuitous route as a, as it tends to be. Um, they're a member of the micro or sort of the BC Farmers Craft Co-op. And the founder, um, we have very much aligned in our vision of making the world a greener place. He's he, Omar um, Sin. He's a sign. He's a member. Uh, he's the founder of the company. He has a background in computer science and environmental conservation and engineering. He's like worn every hat. And mm -hmm. he started his career starting in, out in like research facilities that had controlled uh, environments for like for studying plant life or really anything. So he actually got his start really early on in understanding how these very controlled environments can really um, make very good products or very good you know, growing conditions. So he basically got a chance to develop the software from this from a very early stage, long before cannabis became legal, just from literally looking in these, these bio environments. Um, and basically what it is, it's a software model. So it's a SaaS, so a software as a service that you subscribe to for cannabis and hemp producers who need a better way to manage their operations inside their growing situation. So whether uh, they're for ensuring compliance as well as remaining competitive, the old way um, in the, a lot of spaces is spreadsheets, binders, you know, doing a lot of things very manually. And some people believe that's the cheapest way to go. I mean, it's cheap to set up, but very expensive to maintain is what they say. So using a software system like this, when you're even in an early stage, even for a micro, 
Um, they believe beyond the seed to sale platform, which there's many seed to sale platforms out there. I've, I've seen several, um, but really what they're looking at beyond that is the water and the energy and the waste mm-hmm. being a, a, like um, controlled as well as monitored in these systems. And that's the overarching change maker of this whole thing is that they're not just tracking stuff for the sake of regulatory uh, reasons or doing things because they have to they're doing it better and they're doing it better because when they they say is that um you know better controlled environments there's a very strong uh, correlation with high quality cannabis and you can see some of the brands on there many of which you've talked to already Mm -hmm. um like you know nomi star and parkland flower habitat Pure Life, uh, Pure Sun Farms, these are high quality craft organic product um, companies that are in Canada and they're using the software. So we know that the high quality products come from really good quality craft growing. And these guys are creating a way that that can be measured, managed, and all of those negative aspects of energy, waste, and water, like bad things that happen to that or the negative effects of that can be contained or controlled or eliminated in using a program like elevated uh, signals. Uh, it's it's awesome. ElevatedSignals.com. And uh, for those watching, you can see uh, there's the uh, the website. And uh, it just, uh, I, I think that, listen, this could have actually been in uh, what it means to be green as well, that segment, because this, I love the, the aspect of the, uh, you know, monitoring the water, energy, and the waste, and making sure that yeah, th- that you're you're growing cannabis and you're being responsible, and and I think those two go hand in hand with growing better cannabis. And as you mentioned, the uh, the number of companies uh, that are listed that are already using this, um, uh, you know, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we can take Malka from the the old days, I guess, of growing, and and then there's a, a lot of things that we can bring into this as far as technology that can make the process a whole lot better you know there's there's something romantic about having a business in a binder but in this day and age it's just not as practical as it used to be i don't know if the romance novels (laughs) binders can be used in the same sentence but sure okay yeah no but yeah i think that these guys have figured out something pretty cool and i'm excited to learn more about it and i also found out that one of their major uh part part, members of their team liam is someone i grew up with here in alberta so i feel like there's a lot of synergies when you talk about people from alberta you know seeing the harms from the oil and gas industry and then turning a solution out uh, and doing in the in the cannabis business that's about ending the stigma that's what it means to be green that's all of the things that I talk about healing the planet and healing the people so I'm very happy that I learned about these guys early and and that they're they're just taking off like crazy all right so that again is uh, elevatedsignals.com you can check that out and uh, certainly uh, helping out uh, the the cannabis business by by helping moving it forward. Now we're going to talk about something in what it means to be green, and um, you have this labeled as the dark side, green washing, and this is actually something that I I I kind of knew about but didn't know the term. Maybe is is how yeah. it uh, how I should say it. But uh, explain what you mean by green washing or what the term means. Yeah, I actually didn't know the term either. I knew that it was a thing, but again, the term greenwashing, well, there is actually a definition for this. Uh, Greenwashing is considered when like, or corporate greenwashing uh, is when a business makes impressive claims about their sustainability for the purposes of marketing uh, and promoting their products, but really is to distract them from the unsustainable practices that they actually have. 
it's dark. And this <laughs> is dark because uh, there's so many ways that this is dark. But this is a major part of what CP why I hate the CPG model is because I'm going to say almost every CPG company out there has done this in some way, especially the big ones. So as a consumer packaged good company, you're always looking for ways to, you know, make your product stand apart from the other ones. And when green became a thing that was cool a few years ago to talk about all your products are being green, the labeling and marketing around this went haywire, but it didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything to the point of billions of people being harmed either financially or physically because of what people were saying to promote their products being sold. So I'm gonna use the example of Dieselgate here. This was one case study that I did during my MBA. Um, we did a lot of discussion around this uh, as a major part of my, of my master's program as a differentiator from other programs out there, and this is why I'm not a typical MBA person, we discovered by studying these companies in depth what the corporate and social impact was of harming people and lying to them over decades. And Dieselgate is the scandal where Volkswagen came up with some amazing emissions thing that said that their diesel was less um, harmful than the other diesel engines on the market. They were outright lying and they literally had many people go to prison over this and the harms are still being calculated. The uh, Volkswagen as a company had to buy back every single car mm -hmm. that they sold that had that marketing around it to the tune of billions of dollars around the world. And then they had to replace those vehicles and then they had to suffer the public uh, write downs from their, their essentially their high level executives going to prison over this. So this was a big deal. Um, and this is something that I learned, like I said, the details of what the scandal entailed and how it impacted the company. But this was a marketing thing. They were focused on the marketing aspect of their business to be the number one producer of diesel products or diesel engines in the world. And they did it at the, at the sake of their own company's um, truth and their own company's, um, you know, image. And, and it's still, you know, to this day haunting them. But uh, at the same time, other companies have been doing this for a long time too. It just isn't as big as the Dieselgate scandal. And that's really because there is no definition of what it means to be green from a packaging perspective. So I put uh, on the screen there, you see the statements that are vague, that are used to be eco, sustainable, mm -hmm. recyclable, biodegradable. Those words do not have a standard definition from implications. Exactly. And, and that's exactly why it's so harmful is that they can be used in any context. And, um, and I talked about last week about B Corps. Well, B Corps are literally putting financial and measurable definitions around what it means when you say these words yes. as a company. Uh, and so the dark side of, of what it means to be green and greenwashing is that most people don't know that. They buy things because it has a label on it that says that the company's doing something green, mm -hmm. that the package and the label say something, but what their company is actually doing to get them that product is significantly more harmful than the customer believes. And that is intentionally misleading. And that is why I hate this so much. And this is also why CPG, the CPG model on the cannabis industry is also doing this. They're trying to make it look like they're doing something good, but they don't have a lot of tools to do that. So it's almost like a game of who puts the label on the first, but then what does that mean and how harmful is it to the consumer? And I just want people to understand that there's a lot more to this and they need to just look closer at the practices of the where they're getting their products.
Exactly. Uh, you know, ask ask a question, reach out, do some research before you just blindly uh, fall in with it. Uh, it's it's so very very important. Melka, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to find out more information, check out greengencompany.com and find out how Melka can help you. Thanks again, Melka. Talk next week. Thanks, Dean. Have a great week.